Welcome back to another episode of Life in Paradise Podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Today's Sunday, September 17th, 2022, and the mosquitoes are trying to carry me away. Ugh. Okay, you don't want to hear about the weather. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions, so I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with and others you won't, and I'm okay with that. And you should be too. The world would be a better place if we could all agree to disagree without being disagreeable. And while you'll hear me mocking and making fun of people, I don't always direct them at anyone specifically unless they're a public figure. But it's literally the way I feel about someone. And although I may or may not treat them that way in person, chances are I would not. But that's how I feel about them. And if I make fun of a stereotype and that offends you, well, quite possibly, you fall into that category. But just know that it's not directed at you. Because no matter how much we disagree, I would love to have a discussion with you. I talk a little bit about politics, a little bit about economics, a little bit about kid training, a little bit about dog training, and a lot about random opinions. You'll hear about some cryptocurrency, blockchain technology, etc., etc., as well. And if there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Sit back, relax, take your seatbelts off, fold down your tray tables, and let me fly the plane for about the next 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. Here we are again, coming back like the 19th week in a row. Maybe I need to change my intro from every week or two to every single freaking week. How about that? Catch me outside. How about that? I sure hope that everyone listens to the end of this podcast or all all my podcasts because there's sometimes a little gem at the end, even sometimes at the end of the song, the outro song. So, Do yourself a favor and just listen all the way to the end because you never know what you're going to hear there. If you didn't listen to last week's outro song, go and even if you did, go to the YouTubes and Google, let's get physical. Listen to me. I sound like a boomer. Go to the YouTube and hit the Google. (laughs) Go to YouTube and search for Let's Get Physical by Olivia Newton-John. 
One of the funniest videos I've ever seen. Whether it's satirical or not, it had me in stitches. So do yourself a favor. Let's get physical by Olivia Newton-John music video. You will laugh. I promise you will laugh. And now I don't remember if I ever announced a date. I like to announce a date just so it's on record. Record. Recording. The record. September 18th. I may have said 17th in the intro. I don't know. Today's the 18th, Sunday of September, 2022. Bitcoin is hovering right around $19,000. Expected to keep going down. But that's for the record. Speaking of record, a couple people asked me, you know, how, how come you don't talk about 9-11 or pay tribute to the, the towers that fell? Or, how, you know, how come you didn't say anything about the Queen of England dying? It's like, you know, I, I don't know how, how you pick all this stuff to talk about. And it's weird. I just sometimes I get random emails from people that I don't know. They're kind of critical of my podcast, but whatever. I don't care. As long as they're listening to it, they can hate it all they want to. But I felt like maybe I could address those questions so that I don't continue getting them whenever <laughs> whenever whatever I talk about is not suitable enough for the people who get this show delivered to them instantly for free. And I do realize that those are big things that happen, but I don't like to talk about the same things that everyone else talks about unless I can offer some other kind of perspective or insight or my opinion. And those those two types of things, like the 9-11, you know, never forget, remembrance, the towers fell. Uh, at this point, I don't think anyone will ever forget about 9-11. But I also don't think it's healthy to remember the day that terrible things happened. I don't think that makes it any more valid or important but I do think it's good to remember the event, but there's not always a need to talk about it. And so I question the motive when people do talk about things like this. And I don't know. I'm a skeptic. I know. I'm a cynic. But, you know, oh, we never forget 9-11 and, and people want to talk about how it looked and how it felt and the towers fell. And I feel like once you've kind of seen one of those documentaries, you've, you've seen them all. And it's probably good to go back and watch it just so you don't lose track of what it felt like when you were alive or if you were alive when that happened. But there's no need to just keep talking about it and posting about it and saying that we remember. I I feel like, and this is just my opinion, that most people who do that, it's because they want attention or they want to feel like they're a part of something. Or maybe they're just overly emotional. You know, I don't I, I have both my parents have passed away and I don't post like, you know, this is the day that my dad died. Everyone, let's not forget my dad or this is the day my mom passed away. Let's not let's not forget and and that's just that's kind of how i feel about 9-11 like we don't actually need to remember the day that 3,000 people died we, we remember the event and i feel like the date is kind of ingrained you know we, it's 9-11 that's how we know it and so because of that we're, we won't ever forget so please stop telling me not to forget i'm not gonna freaking forget about 9-11 i promise i promise it's good to remember the heroes but please don't tell everyone to never forget I don't know. That's just my opinion. Maybe you want to run around and scream never forget so that nobody forgets, but that's not me. And as far as the Queen of England goes, I know this sounds bad, but it's of zero importance to me. I don't uh, I don't find any types of qualities in the Queen that that we need to emulate or use as an example on how to behave. I mean... They're royalty. They, they haven't accomplished anything. They've just been born into wealth that no one else can fathom. And I don't think that those people are any different. I remember when I was playing middle school football, or maybe it was elementary. I was real little. 
and we lived in a poor area of town, and we were going to go play the rich kids. And I remember my coach saying, you know, we're going to be out there in our down hunting jackets, and they're going to have their high-end whatever, whatever jackets on, and we're going to be in our work boots, and they're going to have their banker shoes on. And But you know what? We all put on our pants one leg at a time, and that line stuck with me forever because it helped me remember that no matter where you are or what you're – where you're from or what you got or what you got in the bank or what kind of car you drive or what kind of watch you wear. We all put on our pants one leg at a time. We're all human. And so just because they have access to certain things doesn't mean we should treat them any different or, or treat them like they're some, I guess, royalty, right? I mean, that's the, that's the cliche. But I don't think that these people, they don't, they don't exuberate humility. They don't... Um, you know, I heard that the the now King Charles like irons has someone iron his shoelaces every day, and he takes his toilet around with him and his own toilet paper. And I mean, whatever, dude, that's great and all, but why? Why? You know who who taught him that that's a good characteristic to have for a human? And you know what? I don't criticize people for their characteristics or whatever they want to do. That's great. You know that if he has the ability, he's so rich he can do that. That's fine. But he didn't earn the money. It was just, it was given to him. I mean, these people are so rich, they don't even have a last name. And so I don't think that's an admirable trait. I don't think that's something that we should teach kids to aspire to be. Hey, listen, if you're rich enough, you can take your own toilet with you everywhere. And you can make people iron your shoelaces every day. I think it's more important that we teach our society to be humble and to contribute to different projects and help people along the way and and not look up to these people who are just born into wealth and people like the Kardashians who, you know, some would argue that they're they're good business people and that's subjective to opinion. But if we're going to look up to them, let's make sure it's for those things and not what kind of purse they have, what kind of shoes they're wearing, what kind of yacht they're in, what kind of car they're driving. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with yachts and Lamborghinis and Ferraris, but I think you can have those things and still maintain a level of humility and be a role model to kids who are looking up to you for for what you've done and not what you have. And so that's why I don't I don't really care that much. I know it sounds bad, but it wasn't like she was some leader. She wasn't in Winston Churchill. And I know that people have a love for her and the queen mum and the queen mother. And that's great, but that's not me. That's not my culture. That's not who I am. So I, I choose not to even talk about it other than when people get mad. So then I address them as telling them why I don't talk about it. And honestly, people, this is probably an unpopular opinion. You can follow it under that. But people who look up to people and talk about people are kind of strange to me. The kind of people who read People magazine are are a little bit off. And you know what? I completely understand that to those people, the guys like me who don't read People magazine and read like nerdy economist publications like they think i'm the weirdo and that's okay that's what makes the world go round but this is my podcast so i get to talk about what i want to talk about and one of my opinions is that people who read people magazine are a little bit weird a little bit weird that's all i'm gonna, that's all i'm gonna say about that so don't mess with me when it comes to words like that and i have another question a question that that nobody can answer nobody Nobody that I know can answer this question. And that question is, why is it that when I buy something online or buy something with my debit card in person and I look at my bank statement or I look at the online ledger and it's like 
4XPQ9963HD415 for $358. I don't understand. Are we not to the point technology where we can tell, like, the computer who rang up our transaction can easily send that receipt to the bank? And that would fix a lot of problems. I know it doesn't seem like much, but every accountant has to go and classify transactions and they're not sure what was bought and they have to get with the business owner. Nothing should ever be pending. No, no purchase should ever be, oh, well, it's kind of it's kind of gone through, but it's not gone through, but you had to authorize your card for a dollar, but you're going to get the dollar back. I mean, this is so archaic. This is like... The same way we've been doing money since the 70s. And all those people out there who think, well, crypto's going to die. Crypto's going to go to zero. Crypto ain't good for nothing. It's like the tulip bubble. Actually, crypto fixes this problem that I just laid out. But instead of transactions, you make a transaction on a Friday at 3 o'clock, it doesn't show up on your bank account until Monday at 8. Is that... Is that because there's it requires someone to sit there and poke buttons and they don't work weekends? What's the reason for that? This is all automated. This is all computers talking to each other. And we can't figure out how to get the bank the receipt for the items that we bought. Someone needs to figure out how to do this and build AI software that does your taxes for you. There should be a code on everything that you buy, whether it's a, a five-gallon bucket and it's like a, a six-digit code, and that number can correspond to some big database that tells you what the product is in terms of accounting. See, these are all things that the, the blockchain will allow. Instead of now, we get a lump sum from Home Depot for $384. Now we have to communicate with someone. If we have a small business and we're running our business and we have to tell somebody, what was this purchase for? So the way they've been doing it since the 1940s or 50s or 30s, it's saving a pile of receipts. And then if you get audited, you got to prove to the IRS. Oh, no, no, your honor. Those were actually for buckets. You see, we use buckets in the brewery. And of that $384, 60 of it was for buckets. And here's the receipt that I have that was printed out on the day that I bought it. And I've, I've kept up with me for four years. I've kept it with me just, just in case this happened. It's ridiculous. It, this tells me right here that it's due for a makeover. Everything else in our life is instant. We want to watch a movie, we look it up on Netflix or YouTube or Hulu or Amazon or somebody. Somebody can have anything you want to watch at any time. We can convey information in a hurry. We can send, you can look up the encyclopedia, you can figure out what the weather was in Australia 40 years ago on this date. And we can't figure out how to get the receipt to a bank. I can look up the score to a Little League baseball game that was in Florida yesterday afternoon but it takes a bank four days to for a transaction to clear if i want to wire money to ba the bank across town cost me 15 dollars and it takes three to five business days that means if it happens on like a thursday i won't see it until like monday or tuesday or wednesday if i want to know the schedule of events to some festival i'm going to i can look it up instantly so because of all these examples it's clear to me that the we are due for a complete money makeover. Now, with something like money, when we can all admit there are inefficiencies, right? That's inefficient to transfer money. It's it's costly, it's slow compared to technology, 
when the ACH system first came out, which I don't know what year, it's probably in the 70s, 60s maybe, man, it was great. It could send money back and forth between banks, but the way that it works through what's called a clearinghouse. So this clearinghouse, they have a pool of money. Let's just say they got a million dollars. And I want to send you 200000 So I initiate this transfer. What the clearinghouse does is looks at my number coming in, says, yep, 200000 This person is supposed to go to this person. Well, because it's so time-consuming for the banks to transfer money between each other, they go through this big liquidity pool, a clearinghouse. And the clearinghouse says, yep, I got money coming in from this guy. I got money going out to this guy. Cool, I'll, I'll speed up the transaction and charge a little bit of money. And then if something goes wrong, I just suck the money back out of this person's account and slap this person with a fee, and then they can sort it out between themselves. Maybe do it all over again. Who knows? And that's not going to go away. Because it's so heavily regulated and it's so widely used, it won't go away until something breaks, something falls apart, or something better comes along. And people start using this better form because it's faster, easier, and cheaper, more efficient. And so that's what the blockchain does. It facilitates the, the transfer of things, whether it be you know, a, a, a token representing a physical asset or whether it just be numbers. It has the ability to say, okay, this amount of money was in this wallet, and I'm moving it over here. And both people have access to their own wallet. So it doesn't take someone in the middle to take the money in and spit the money out. You just transfer between the two. It would be like banks having the ability to Venmo each other. That's basically all it does in the terms of money movement. So the next time you hear somebody say, man, Bitcoin took a tumble. Bitcoin's going to go to zero. Explain to them that Bitcoin is far more than an investment tool. It's an actual technology, and it runs on what's called the blockchain. And that example that I just gave you is a perfect example to tell the people who are squealing, Bitcoin going to zero. Hey, I ain't going nowhere. I'm still going to be right back in the streets. You did, because I'm innocent. I don't care what nobody got to say. You may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. All right. For my next doom and gloom topic, I'm going to talk about something that I talk about frequently, and that is the economy. If you go back and listen to my mid-pandemic podcast, you'll oftentimes hear me saying things like, you can't stop the economy and start it back. You can't just push the pause button. You can't. This thing doesn't just shut down and start up. Well, we're now seeing the outcome of this. We're seeing the what's called the bullwhip effect, right? The bullwhip effect is you can have a big long whip in your hands, and you you flick your wrist just a little bit, and the end the end closest to your hand is barely moving, but at the end of the whip, way out there. It's flinging, you know, five, ten feet up and down based on just your the whipping of your hand. I know you can't see me, but I'm whipping my hand right now. You could just look like I'm just cracking a whip, and you can't see it, but I wish you could. So I was thinking, as I often do, about the supply chains and the situation and how this could have been avoided and what it would have looked like. And the main thing that I that I came up with, that I deduced it, was that the reason that you can't stop it and start it is because... It's easy to stop it at the same time. It's easy to say, everyone stop tomorrow, and everyone stops. But if you were to say, everyone start tomorrow, there would be groups who go, no, we can't. It's too dangerous. Old people are dying. You have to protect yourself and those around you. 
and no one could agree on when to start. So that turned in, into this cluster, you know what, of Group A starting and Group B not starting and Group C starting and half of Group D starting. And so when Group A starts, they need all of their normal inputs. They need everything that they normally would need to start whatever it is that they're doing. I don't care if they make Barbie dolls or hammers or sex toys. It doesn't matter. Whenever you push start, you need all your inputs at one time. Well, a lot of their inputs had decided to stay home and stay safe and keep everyone safe and flatten the curve. So what, what did they have to do? The manufacturers who need inputs have to start looking for other people. And those other people may or may not have started, and their inputs may or may not have started. So now you have this big accordion effect. It's like a train. Imagine if the, the caboose started going faster than the engine. It would just it would push all of the cars off the track and turn into a, a mess, a big accident. Well, this is what happened. Because people were running around convincing everyone. We have to do something. Everyone just said, okay, stop, everybody stop. Everyone just stop what you're doing right now. Let's keep everyone safe. Let's prioritize that over everything. When, in fact, the solution should have been, hey, if you are sick or you are scared or you don't want to go out, then you stay home. But we cannot stop this thing. This is a big, giant monster. It's like a worldwide train that goes around the entire world, and the nose and the butt almost touch each other. Think about that. The caboose, the front of the caboose, or I'm sorry, the front of the engine to almost touches the back of the caboose. And it's all going at exactly the same speed around the earth. And then all of a sudden you throw a chain on the tracks and you derail the entire train. And then you have some guys who say, our cars are fixed. We're ready to go. And you have other guys saying, well, we're not fixed yet. And then other people are saying, hurry up, fix your cars. And other people are saying, we're not even going to start working on our cars until everyone is safe. Imagine trying to get that train going again. That's what we're up against. So if you take that, you combine that fiasco along with pretty much the entire world has been built on debt. So the entire world has been built on the idea that as long as that train doesn't stop moving, then we'll be fine. We can always rob a little bit from Peter to pay a little bit to Paul. And then every now and then Paul will give us a little bit extra and we'll pay Peter back. And then every now and then somebody robs Paul too much to pay Peter and they go broke. But not everyone goes broke. And so everyone's kind of living right there on the edge of things working like they're supposed to. Now, all of a sudden, when things don't work like they're supposed to, Peter's not willing to loan you enough money to pay Paul. Paul's saying, I need my money right now, dude. Peter's saying, you're not borrowing any more money from me. And then so now this is when the debt bubble collapses. Now, I don't like to be doom and gloom, but I often am because I feel like that's that's the truth is that no one wants to tell you what's really happening. The stock market is just now starting to figure out that this thing isn't going to be so good. And it's taken admittedly a lot longer for this thing to materialize than what I suspected. I thought this would have all happened about a year ago. But as we go through it, I see that things develop a little bit slower. And I remember during the housing bubble, there was people that were saying, it's going to collapse, it's going to pop, the whole thing's going to fall apart two years earlier than what it really did. Because as Americans were innovators and were creative, and as we approached the cliff, 
We start trying random little things, and we start, well, what about if we do this and we do that? We change this so that this guy didn't owe this and this, that, and then that, that can work for a little bit. Every now and then, if we're not going too fast, things will get turned around and we don't go off the cliff. It's my personal opinion that we're about to go off the cliff. And I don't know what the solution is. There's lots of guys who say, we just, we got to go through it. We've got to have this purge. A lot of people are going to go broke. A lot of people are going to lose their houses. People are going to lose their jobs. People are going to lose their retirement. You know, it's not the first time something like this has happened. But it's the first time that I've been of adult age with some actual assets that I'm not going to lie. It's kind of worrying to think about it. But there's nothing you can do other than try to position yourself to be ready for it. And that's different for everyone. And while I can't give financial advice, well, I can, but the lawman come for me. All I would do is encourage you to look at your situation, your finances, and say, if the value of my portfolio goes down 20, 30, 40 more percent, am I okay? Will I be able to cover my financial obligations? And if the answer to both those are yes and yes, then you just ride it out. You just just keep doing what you're doing, cut your spending, prepare for your sources of income to go down. That's really about it. That's all I could say. So, yeah, that's where we are. I could throw a bunch of stupid financial statistics at you about the 10-year, the 2-year yield curve being inverted and what that means, but I feel like most people don't care about that. Uh, the 10-year treasury, which is what interest rates are built off is at, I think, a 30 or 40 or maybe 50-year high. It's continuing to climb. So, yeah, 8-Ball eight, eight says outlook not so good, you know, especially combined with the the situation in Europe and Poutine and the pipeline and the gas. And the, the railroads almost shut down last week because of a potential strike. It's just, you know, we're in a clown world right now, and you gotta be you got to be aware of that and try to be ready for it. This liberal will be all about socializing, uh, um, would be about basically taking over and the government running all of your companies. Okay, Henty. Okay, Henty Maxine. Gah. <laughs> Moving right along past Clown World to another chapter i guess this is like clown world chapter three i'm sure everyone's heard but governor abbott and governor DeSantis have gotten into a contest and the contest is who can send the illegal immigrants to the funniest location it is hilarious to me that ron DeSantis loaded up a couple of busloads of illegal immigrants and shipped them to Martha's Vineyard. Oh, no, no, no. He put them on a plane, a plane or two, flew them up there, and offloaded them. And said, here you go. Here's a bunch of vacant homes owned by rich, liberal white people who are mad because no one will take them in. And so what did they do? They kicked them out of there. They called in the National Guard. They scooped them up. They said, okay, uh, listen. Listen, Felipe. You don't have to go home, but you cannot stay here, okay? You no sleepy here. You sleepy somewhere else. <laughs> it's funny to me because 
they're so mad. This is a political stunt. It's a political stunt. These people are not puns. They're not, you can't use them as assets. Well, it is a political stunt, but it's true. It's, it's accurate. The statement is solidified because they're recreating a situation. They're saying, hey, our cities cannot handle these people. You, federal government, are not doing anything to stop this situation. We have countless people that are pouring across the border, coming into our local towns and communities that are not supported by the federal government. These local towns and communities support themselves. Sure, they get a little bit of federal money for roads and bridges and some entitlement programs, but for the most part, cities, counties, states, they rely on themselves and the money that they get coming in from their own commerce. So it's the federal government's job to protect the federal borders of the country. Well, when that fails, the people come across the border and they just kick it wherever the first city they stop. And so all these places along the Texas border are saying, we've had enough of this. We've had enough. And the federal government is also providing these immigrants with plane tickets to go wherever they want to go. You're, you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. That's just misinformation, Brandon. You don't even know what's going on. You're just a right-wing conspiracy theorist. Go back and listen to some of my shows. I know of a family personally who paid to come across on a bus. And then they were taken in to the kids in cages area, and they were given a voucher to fly anywhere. And they chose Miami. And they went to Miami, and Miami said, okay, you're here. Uh, you come back in two years for your immigration hearing. You're good to go until then. And so Florida and Texas are saying, we cannot keep taking these people. They're a strain on our social systems. They gain access to the use of them, but they don't contribute to the financial burden of maintaining them. So we can't have them anymore. And you got Kamala Harris saying the border is secure. The border is secure. But what the hell you say? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. Now, who's responsible? I say, who's responsible for this unwarranted attack on my person? But yes, the idea of sending illegal immigrants to somewhere where it's unlikely they would end up is a political stunt, but it is true. It represents a genuine problem. It's not like the federal government passed a law and certain states are unhappy with it, so they're protesting by gathering people up and sending them there. They're saying, hey, because of your unwillingness to make and enforce laws, this is what we're dealing with. Maybe if it's so important to you that these people just come pouring in across the border, then you can house them in your homes, in your summer homes where you go to summer. Yeah, These are the kind of people that use seasons as verbs. They, they winter and they summer and they spring. You know, that, that's, we summer over here, we winter there. Those are the kinds of people that live in Martha's Vineyard. And those are also the kinds of people that have signs in their front yard that say, we're accepting of all races and colors and genders and shapes and sizes and homosexuality. They, they accept everything. 
except when they in their front yard. So, yeah, you know what? It's freaking hilarious. As someone who lives in Texas and someone who sees what's going on, I mean, I, I live about three hours from the border. And so unless everything that I see is a lie, right, and that could be, it could be that everything about the border is misinformation, at which point wouldn't you think that someone like Kamala, who's supposed to be in charge of the border, would actually go there and talk to the people to prove that there's not a problem? But she knows she can't go there. And so talking about a, a, a political stunt, the political stunt is not enforcing the border security, the border laws, the immigration laws. That's the political stunt. And the backlash of that is, okay, you're not going to enforce it. Here you go. This is what we're dealing with just on a teeny tiny little scale. And it blows my mind that people don't understand this. Or maybe that people are so biased that they're they're so far in bed with media outlets who are saying, there's really no problem at the border. We're just offering asylum to asylum seekers. Maybe there's people out there that do believe that. But come come live in Texas three hours from the border and tell me what you think. I have no problem with immigration. I think immigrants are what made America what this place is. But fortunately, this place is so great that we get to pick and choose who comes in. It's like the clubs in downtown L.A. that have a line all the way around the block. Why, why is that? Why don't they just let everybody in all at once? Well, because the fire marshal says, hey, we're only letting this many people up in the club. So y'all, y'all got to wait outside the club. And whenever somebody comes here who's really important that we really want up in this club, they get to cut in front of the line because they have a lot to offer. And we want people in the club who have a lot to offer. So why don't we treat our country that way? Why don't we build a freaking wall or do whatever we have to do to keep people out? And that was my argument during the, the wall building. You can't build the wall. We must build a wall. My argument was we should pursue the cheapest way to enforce our border laws that we possibly can. Maybe it's a wall. Maybe it's a drone that shoots people with lasers when they cross the river. I don't know what it is. But I guarantee you who else doesn't know are the people who are saying, Border walls are unhumanitarian and we should not have border walls. Those people don't care what's cheapest. They just go with how their heart feels and what their, their, their feelings tell them they should do. Those are the kind of people who make decisions that affect the country without having any understanding on the backlash or of the backlash or the, the financial implementations of the industrial resuscitations and complexities in and thereof. I can't for the life of me empathize or understand or even remotely see how people can advocate that we abolish ICE. I don't. Those people who say that, there's no sense in me having a discussion with them because their their argument is being based on feelings, how they how they feel something should be, how they think it should look, and how, how they feel it, was, it should be. And when you ask them to say, okay, how do you do that? The answer is always, 100% of the time. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but somebody can figure it out. Which is not a valid reason in my book. So, yeah... I'm glad that he shipped them up there. I'm glad that I think Abbott shipped a few of them to Kamala's house. I mean, if this is what it takes to wake these people up, the thing is, is that they're awake. They know what's going on. And I think that their plan is to let them all in here, 
And then when the time comes, we'll say, we need to give everyone amnesty because they've fought. What is it? They, they've been seeking asylum and they just want a better life. So I think that's their goal is to let them all come here and then scream that we need to give amnesty, which, hey, we probably do need immigrants. I get it. Our population will be declining faster and faster as the boomers grow older and older. But there's a right way and a wrong way to go about doing things. And I don't understand why we can't just go about it the right way. I think the the political stunt, the real real political stunt that the Republicans should do is they should claim amnesty. They should do it before the midterms or maybe even between the midterms and 24. And that way they can steal. All those people who are coming over here, they don't know why. They're just being told, hey, the border's open. Vamos, vamos a la chingada, let's go. And so they come over here, the border's open. I don't think that they're being told that it's from Biden. Maybe they are. Maybe Biden's crew is that smart to where they can spread the word amongst the community of immigrants. But I think what the Republicans should do is say, hey, we're going to go for amnesty and steal back all these votes that the left thought they were importing, which I really do think that that's why they're allowing these people to come in because they have the intentions on one day saying, um, we're going to give amnesty to everybody, so you vote for us now. I think that's what's going to happen. What's funny to me is all the Mexican guys that I know that are literally from Mexico, so don't get mad at me for not calling them Hispanic because they're from Mexico, so they're Mexican people. And all the ones that I know well, who I've known for a long time, one of which has named a child after me, have all told me, In no uncertain terms, people know the borders are open. They know that they're wide open and that they don't like it. And so they, they like pinche Trump. They like Donald Trump because he stands for the values that they have. You see, Mexican immigrants, they have a lot of the same values that the Republican Party has. They're about family. They incorporate religion. They work hard. They think it's valuable to to gain and acquire assets. And they understand what what capitalism can do and how an oppressive regime who skims money off the top will leave you broke. They'll leave you broke like the poverty in Mexico City. And they don't want that. They want someone who allows for the opportunity of them to make money, to come and be rewarded for their efforts because these guys are hard workers. I've never seen anyone. What maybe like... Maybe Vietnamese outwork Mexican people, but I've never seen anyone that can outwork them except maybe Vietnamese people. And people get weirded out by that. They don't, they don't, they don't, they're not comfortable talking about different cultures having different work ethics. Well, in my opinion, it's silly not to because we can all look around and we can see which cultures have stronger work ethic. And that's not because it's genetic, it's not even because of the way they're built. Mexican people are not physically superior to to a lot of other cultures but they do teach each other hey let's work hard we're, we're willing to work hard and in, in exchange for some money and those are typically the people who come here the people who are lazy because obviously there's lazy people in all cultures but the the lazy mexican people and the lazy central americans why would they want to go somewhere where they don't know what the language is they don't want to have to deal with the money they don't want to deal with the public transportation So they stay home. 
They, they stay in their country. There's no sense in them leaving. They can, they can be lazy and get away with it at home. So typically the ones who come here are the ones that do want to work hard. Now, taking advantage of the situation are the ones that want to do crime. And because they're told, hey, hey, bro, everything is free in America and the streets are paved with gold. The health insurance is free. Everything's free. And so coming from a country where the government provides all that, they're enticed to come here. I don't blame them. I would be too. If I was a farmer in Mexico and I worked for just a little teeny tiny bit of money, and I was told that the government had my back when it came to the health care insurance or health care provisions. And then I go and try to get health care and it's it's virtually non-existent or it's not good. It's low quality. And someone tells me, hey, bro, you can move to the USA and drive a bigger, nicer, newer tractor for a big ranch owner. You can have your own place. You can have free health care. Of course I'm going to go. Of course. So all these people that are saying, they just want to seek a better life. Yeah, no joke. Who doesn't want to seek a better life? But that doesn't mean room. That doesn't mean we have room for all of them. It's just mind-boggling to me that that immigration or illegal immigration used to be a bipartisan uh, topic. Both parties agreed that we should not have illegal immigration, and this is why I say we're living in a clown world because you have people like Kamala Harris saying the border's safe. And then you have like the the boss of border security. I, I don't know his name or his title, but he's like the, the head of immigration and customs enforcement. And he's like, guys, we need help. We're floundering over here. We're not catching nearly the amount of people that are crossing the border. And then the Biden administration just saying, nothing's wrong with the border. The border's secure. Like what in the world is happening? Okay, I, I went off on a tangent. That's okay. I'm aware of that. But I think you get the idea. I think you know how I feel. It's hilarious that they sent them up there. It's all for a good cause. You know, it's it's ironic and it's hilarious to me. I'm glad to see somebody not taking things so seriously. I've been fighting acquisitions after acquisitions. You mean accusations? Acquisitions. No, no. It's actually accusations. Acquisitions. Well, you get the idea. That that's the kind of people we're working with. Those are our elected officials. Those the that's the kind of person that is a person, in fact, that we elected to to run a city for us, actually. I've been fighting acquisitions after acquisitions. I've been witch hunt since day one. I've been fighting acquisitions after acquisitions. So what's the moral of the story? You're going to have term limits. You're going to have term limits. And that way the dumb people don't stay in office too long. Nope. The solution is to get off your ass, figure out who to vote for, and go vote. Preferably people who can accurately use the English language. In case you've never heard, there's a website called Predictit. P-R-E-D-I-C-T-I-T dot org I think I think it's org it might be com I don't know but you can find it if you want to and it allows you to vote not to vote it allows you to gamble on um, political races and elections and I think it's great it's fun it makes it entertaining there's people who like to gamble let them gamble on whatever it is they want to it's their money the maximum you can bet 
on anything was $850. It's too complicated for me to explain the way it all works, but just think about it. You can bet. And from what I understand, there's been no more accurate of a predictor than predict it. So because it allows lots and lots and lots of people to bet on something, it's a good sample size to help determine what the outcome of that event will be. And it's not I'm not saying that it gets it right way ahead of time, but I'm saying it accurately measures the sentiment of people. For instance, in the Trump and Hillary election, it was showing Hillary to win, you know, a, a good portion of the time, and all this is based on how people bet. So, it was showing her to win, and then kind of at the last minute, right as the election was happening, long before the media knew, long before everyone knew that Trump was actually going to lose, I'm sorry, that not the, not the Trump-Hillary election, the Trump-Biden election, long before anyone ad- admitted, like, I went to bed thinking Trump won, and it's over. Well, Predicted was saying, nope, Trump's going to lose long before anyone else. So the, the timing of it is not always in advance but it knows the sentiment of the people before anyone else does. So it's extremely accurate in predicting elections. And what's what's going to happen? What are they going to do? They're going to shut it down. They've already announced that it's closing down February 23rd under the request or the enforcement of the U.S. government. So God forbid that the plebs have a platform where they can go throw dice on who they think is going to win the election because we just we can't we can't have that we can't have gambling on elections. I I know that we approved it. I know we told you that you could do it. But now that we're seeing how accurate it is and how how true it predicts what's going to happen, we're just, we're going to have to just shut it down. You see, you see, there's people out there that are just too stupid to to be able to do with their money what they want to. We know that they can go to Vegas and bet it all on red or black, and that's fine. We're okay with that kind of gambling, but no, mm-mm. we're going to shut down anything that predicts elections because, well, well, we don't have to tell you why, but just know that we're going to shut down what accurately predicts election outcomes. Is that not a little bit alarming? Does that not throw up any red flags? Because to me it does. I would like for someone who is an advocate of this thing being shut down to explain to me how it's good. How it's good for everyone if we just shut it down and we don't let people gamble with their own hard-earned money. That to me, you present that idea to our founding fathers and say, we're going to make laws so that these dumb people can't spend their own money on things that they want to spend it on. I think that they would, our founding fathers would look at them and say, you're going to do what? We fought long and hard for freedom in this country so that we could do whatever we wanted to do with our money. And now you, you tyrant, are going to tell us what we cannot do, that we cannot spend our own money playing games. I feel like that's what they would say to them. I feel like if you explained it to a 10-year-old and you said, hey, uh, you know, there's this platform that lets people gamble on elections. Are you cool with that? They would say, yes. And they would say, okay, uh, are you cool with it if it if we figure out that it accurately predicts the outcome of elections? They would go, yeah, sure, why not? And then you said, well, what would you say if the government figured out that they could accurately predict elections? And then they said, you're not allowed to do that anymore. 
I feel like the ten year old would be like, uh, well, you you might want to question the government. You might want to ask them why it's so important to them that they shut down something that predicts the outcome of elections, because that is just stupid. And when I tell you that there are people out there, there's a group of people who think that they're smarter than everyone else and that they can make the rules that we all have to live by, this is just another example. I I oftentimes have the same ideas, but I just find new examples to support them. So whether or not you can agree or disagree with there's a small group of people who think that they should be making the laws for the rest of the country and others think for the rest of the world, whether or not you agree with that, Hopefully you can look at this and say, hmm, that makes me scratch my head a little bit. The government wants to shut down a website that predicts the outcome of elections. And it's not because people are rigging elections or using it to sway elections. The most you can bet is $850 on any one election. So I would understand if people were betting billions and billions Billions and 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 billions of dollars in persuading the outcomes of elections, but that's not happening. And we know that's not happening because the max you can bet is $850. And whether or not you agree with the idea the elections get stolen, you may think that no. Every election's fair. There's no cheating going on ever, not one time, never. You you may think that way, and that's fine. But I'm of the opinion that there are shady people out there and that they want the ability to be able to control elections without anyone knowing or with, with fewer people speculating. That way there's no evidence. Listen, people are bad. People are evil. And in my opinion... We should have a platform like this to throw red flags when the outcome is completely different than what predicted says the outcome will be. And we can look into things and see if people are cheating and doing nefarious activities. And it blows my mind how people don't understand that, that things like this can be a check and a balance. They can, they can tell us what's going on because they're more accurate than these stupid polls that we rely on. And we all know that the polls are inaccurate. And so whenever they miss something, we just say, when that was weird, the poll showed the other person to win. And then we go on about our day. But with Predicted, we've seen the accuracy of it. We've seen how right it is every time. And so the minute you take something like this away, rest assured, at some point, the people who think that no elections have ever been stolen and that no one ever cheats will be the next ones to scream that people are cheating and elections are being stolen. And they took away this predicted indicator, so now they have no tools to prove it. These people don't have the foresight to look down the road and think ahead. All they think about is the next election. And that's not a joke. Not a joke. Charles, Charles, thank you very much. And while we're on the topic of government control, I'm going to talk a little bit about energy consumption and how I've talked about it before. I know I talk about some of the same stuff over and over again, but I have different thoughts. So while I might have spoken on this topic before, I'm going to touch on it in a way that might be a little bit different than last time. Everyone's probably heard if you watch any sort of news or keep up with anything about the 
environmental impact of Bitcoin. People are saying that it costs, it uses too much energy and it's just too hard on the environment. And you even have these crypto guys that are saying, oh, well, we now we're coming up with new technologies so that creating Bitcoin isn't so energy intensive and we have cheaper ways to do it. I mean, greener ways to do it. And everyone wants to compare. You know, Bitcoin uses enough electricity for a small country. My response to all of this is, since when does the government get to tell us how much electricity we can use? It has nothing to do with the government. These people, you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the energy consumption attack on Bitcoin was all these other cryptocurrencies creating this in order to knock down Bitcoin. I know it's crazy. It just might just well be a right wing conspiracy theory. But that's my theory. And everyone has bought into it. Legislators, lawmakers, politicians, news anchors, people that don't understand cryptocurrency. They don't understand the value. They don't understand how a capitalistic free economy works, a free market economy. People, there, there are so many details that I can use to, to debunk this myth that Bitcoin is going to cause like our electric grid to crash. It's actually, it's quite the opposite. It's taking that electricity in its most purest form, in the most simple way. Bitcoin takes that energy that it's used to create it and it stores it. It stores that value. Okay. It's not just like keeping the lights on and using electricity so that you can see. It's more than that. It's taking that electricity, creating something that can then be bought or sold or traded. You can't store light and go sell it. But the people who have jumped on the screen energy bandwagon don't have the capacity or they don't choose to figure this sort of thing out. And I could go round and round and give you examples as to here's how much electricity we all use on our clothes dryers. How does that compare to Bitcoin? Here's, here's how much electricity we all use on our Christmas lights. How does that compare to Bitcoin? But I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to prove the innocence because the, the real question is, I don't give a flying F what we do with our energy that we pay for. When you buy something, that's yours. You can do whatever you want to with it. You're the owner of it within reason, right? You can't, obviously you can't break the law. But if I want to buy enough electricity to run my air conditioner all day, every day and leave my doors in my house wide open, can I? Should I be able to do that? Should there be someone who tells me that you can't do that? You're too wasteful. Should I be able to buy a vehicle that gets four miles to the gallon or three miles to the gallon if I want to? Or should there be a law against that? Should I be able to take money and go burn it? Or should, be, should there be a law against me burning a pile of money that if I wanted to do that, film a rap video with me just burning money? Should there be a law against that? No, there shouldn't. Because we have an incentive to acquire things ourselves. And once we acquire the ownership of these things, we can do whatever we want to. And I feel the same way about the watering the grass restrictions. And I know it's an unpopular opinion. But Brandon, people will use all the water and then we won't have no more water left. Well, the solution to that is say, hey guys, here's the situation with our water. 
if everyone uses water at the same times that they always do, here's what's going to happen. You guys should make a smart decision on what what you should do with your water. Here's what we think we should do. Here's here's a solution that we've come up with, and here's how the numbers will work. But they don't. They just say, you're only allowed to use water on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday, and you can use it Friday and Sunday. Uh, that's the same water that I buy that you charge me for? Yes, yes. And you're telling me how much I can use it? Yes, because there's a water shortage. Well, then, if I pay for it, I should have access to use it whenever I want to. And you shouldn't be able to do anything if I fail to follow those guidelines. Like, find me. The, the city's going around and finding people for having their sprinklers on in their yard, using the water that they pay for. And listen, I get it. If there's a shortage, if, if there's problems with the, with the system because of drought, that's fine. But put the information out there and let the people decide. And let the neighbors go to the people next door and say, hey, dude, uh, last summer when we didn't listen to them, we lost water for three days. So let's learn from that mistake. And I tell you what, let's make a plan and say, hey, this street, water's on this days and those. Let them cooperate together. Because remember, when you take options away from people, when you take the necessity out of the environment for them to cooperate and create solutions, they won't do it. They will, they will forget how to do that, and they will become reliant on the water king to tell them, just tell me when I can water my grass, and then I'll do it. I don't want to run out of water, so please, water boss, tell me when I can use my sprinklers. You see the difference there between, between that concept and, I don't need nobody to tell me where I can do whatever I want to with my water anytime. There's a difference there. Those are two ends of the spectrum. Because I'm not saying that to hell with any kind of rules. I'm saying let the people devise the situation, the system that works for their situation. And in order for them to do that, they will have to suffer consequences. Because if they don't, they will never learn and they will always need a water boss. I suspect that when when nomadic hunters and gatherers and tribes that moved around, whenever they they saw an issue and the the king was like no more meat must stop eating meat for 3 days everyone probably agreed and trusted that he was making the right decision because they were right there and they saw that there was no meat and they saw that if they ate all their meat in one day they're going to go hungry so they can see with their own eyes the 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 repercussions even though there's a a, a leader there that's making the decisions they have faith in him. They have trust in him. And we don't have that. We don't have that in our leaders. I don't have hardly any faith or any trust in any politician right now. There's a few. And granted, there's a lot that I don't know well enough to say. But I distrust a far more number of them than I actually trust. And so because of that, I'm not willing to just do whatever they say whenever they say it. Because I don't trust them. I don't trust their motives. I don't believe that they're doing the things that they're doing for the reason they say they're doing them. Let's say that again. I don't believe that they're doing the things that they're doing because of the reasons that they say that they're doing them. And so because of that, I'm not willing to just go along with it. And it bothers me when people are, when people just trust these, these elected officials who the only reason that they're in leadership positions is because they won a popularity contest not because they're great leaders. When you had the, 
the hunters and gatherers of the tribes, there was always like a young guy who challenged the leader and he would try to dethrone him or throw him off. Or if it didn't work, he would split and start his own group like lions, right? I mean, if that's what our leadership looked like, if we were truly picking the best leaders, then I would probably say, yes, I trust this guy. He knows what he's doing. He's proven in his ability to make sure that people don't run out of water. And if this is what he says, then yeah, let's do it. But I don't trust him. I don't trust him. And it bothers me that everyone does. Now, you might say, well, what could be their motivation for telling people not to use water? When everyone wants to use water, why would they be motivated just to stop people from using water? And the reason that, that it bothers me is, is not that because I think they don't have our best interest at heart. I think that they're not able to take our best interest and defend it. I think that lots of these people are more concerned with going along with the masses to not rock the ship so that they can get their votes that they need to get reelected. That's where the problem is. And I strayed off my Bitcoin topic. But if you haven't heard, go do some research. Just type in Bitcoin electricity use and you'll find all sorts of slam articles and bullcrap about how much electricity it uses. It's so much nonsense that the White House released last week that they may they may outlaw that the way that Bitcoin is produced. There's the method at which Bitcoin is produced is called the proof of work. And I'm not going to go into all the nerdy details, but it's basically it does require more energy than the alternate form of functionality, which is called proof of stake. So it's less efficient in terms of energy, but the value gets stored. The, the money doesn't just go away. It gets transferred from the socket in the wall to an invisible, magical internet coin that no one can see or touch, <laughs> but will change the way we do things. I promise you, it's there. The value's there. But the main point is that we should not let the government tell us how to use our resources. The, this is not Dubai. This is not Saudi Arabia. They don't own the electricity. We do. We produce it. We invest in it. We throw our money into it. Not them. I don't want them to tell me what to do with my money anymore. How are you, baby? How old are you? I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Speaking of cyber nonsensical calamities, I watched a documentary last night about cyber warfare. And I didn't realize how far along that we're actually getting into the, the world of cyber warfare. And we all have the ability to shut everyone down. And at any moment, if China wanted to shut down our grid, it's my understanding that they could do it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand the technical side of cyber warfare because I do not get it. I don't understand computers. I can barely run a podcast equipment machine thing. And so because of that, I don't proclaim to know how it all works, but I believe a lot of people who do understand how it works. Lex Friedman is a great source of these kinds of people. If you've never listened to Lex Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, I think, L-E-X, Friedman, Lex Friedman. If you've never listened to his podcast and you want to nerd out on like cybersecurity and AI, check him out. He's on the, the YouTubes. He's got a very dry, monotonous tone. It's kind of hard to listen to. But if you can hang in there long enough, it's some good information. So I was watching this documentary, and they don't know who's done it. But so far, this is what happened. This is how far along things are getting. And a lot of us, like me and you, who don't know computers too well, 
We don't we don't hear this stuff because we're not in that world. So Iran had a facility where they enrich uranium so that they could make nuclear weapons. And then maybe one day they could take over the world with a nuclear weapon. And so they had this facility and it was so secluded and so secret that there was not even internet running there. They didn't everything inside this place was all self-contained. They didn't want anyone getting in there and, and finding out their secrets. Well, it didn't work. Somebody got in there with a thumb drive and they they plugged it on in the thing and then because of every computer being connected on site to each other through printer networks and servers and blah 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 things that I don't know, all these computers talk to each other. So they put what's called a worm, which I guess is just like a virus, I don't know, in there. And so these worms have two components. They have something that tells them where to go and what to look for. And then they have a component that tells them when you find it, execute this plan. And so they released this worm into their computer network. And I think it took, I want to say like eight weeks, ten weeks, something like that. And the worm was going around looking for these centrifuges. And these centrifuges do something, right? The centrifuges spin, that's all I know. But they do something to help in the process of making enriched uranium, which is what they use in nuclear weapons. And so the directions that came with this virus said to operate in a, in a way that destroys yourself, basically. It's, like, it's the speed at which these centrifuges spin that they're not designed to spin at that rate without a certain amount of cooldown time. Uh, a centrifuge is just something that spins really, really fast, and they all do different things. They use them in blood work. They use them in beer making. It just it causes things to separate. And so the worm told these things to spin at a rate that breaks you. But feed the information back to the people who are looking at the screens so that it looks like everything's running fine. And don't signal any alarms and make sure nothing looks like it's going wrong. And once they've all melted down, people will figure it out. And so that's exactly what they did. This, they, From what I understand, they ruined the entire facility. It became worthless because they, the, the functional, the integral equipment that does this that was destroyed. And I don't think Iran ever figured out who did it. But it was an inside job. They either got a spy or they paid someone to get in there and plug that thumb drive in. And so that's, and I think that happened three, four years ago, or maybe even more. But that's just an example of the types of things that can happen. And, and do I have a solution? Am I trying to tell you to go order your own Patriot supply of food and start growing your own garden? No. I mean, I'm not telling you to do that. But what, what is the solution? What do you do? Do you, do you wait for something like this to happen? Because I, I face the same predicament as you. I, I think to myself, man, I don't want to get caught with no food. But do I really think it's going to happen? Like, what's the likelihood, right? But I just found it interesting. I, from what I understand, like at any moment, anyone can shut anyone down. But it's like the nuclear buttons. No one wanted to be the first one to push it. Because when they push it, they're going to get annihilated. So it kind of makes it like the Cold War. We're all just sitting there with our finger on the trigger, not wanting to be the first one that pulls it. You know how much I'm going to do with the deficit this year? Luckily, we got a boss in the White House who will make sure nothing bad happens to us. Man, these podcasts are like, well, they're kind 
I, I don't know what they're like, but they just get longer and longer and longer and longer. And you don't pay any extra. So that's what they're like. And with that, I show close the show. I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm going to go do some chores, do some laundry. I might go to the brewery, but probably not because it's good to spend some time away. And next week will be crazy. We have our annual Oktoberfest on Saturday, and it has been in preparation mode for the last two months. So the big show takes place next Saturday. I may or may not be on Sunday of next week. Depends on how exhausted I am. I think my cousin Harry is going to be in town, which if you haven't listened to Old Dog New Tricks, that is another podcast that I'm on. It is a lot less produced than this one. It's not as thought out. It's a little bit more raw. Basically like setting a microphone between two guys sitting in a bar. But it offers a good perspective from his point of view and my point of view. He's 23, something like that, 24. I'm about 20 years older than him. So he's got a lot of good perspectives. Probably not as good as mine, but he tries and he's learning. So I love him for that. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast with me, your host. That's right. You nailed it. I knew you'd get it right. I hope everyone has a great week. Go out there, work hard, tell your friend about this podcast, play with your dog, teach your kids something funny, and keep it tranquilo. Amen, them ain't high heel sneakers. And the show don't look like cowboy boots. And that ain't
Give us our hats, excuse me, man, but where is the door? Get us our hats, excuse me, man. 